All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes scores! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season at ZephyrEpic.com. That will get you $5 off your order. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. Go follow them. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, all that fun stuff. Our friends at Zephyr Epic, you know, they got the Pokemon cards, the Magic the Gathering cards, the NHL cards, the NFL any sporting card you can name, they've got it. So go check them out. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50 from... You're going to like this one, Quads. Close to home. From Burnaby. Oh, boy. All the way out to the east to Beaconsfield. To Beaconsfield. Burnaby to Beaconsfield. Zephyr Epic ships free on any order over $50. Remember to use promo code Hockey Season capital H, capital S, all one word. We are also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is Dave Guadrelli. I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber and Harmon Dial. It's, uh, I think you were here two weeks ago. I think yeah. you are on the right schedule. Harmon Dial, joining us in the studio. Harmon, how's it going? It's going well. I'm honestly just... Uh sort of impressed by the fact that seemingly every time you nail, you guys nail the intro. Like if it was me doing these intros, I swear to God, it would take me at least three or four takes to get it down pat. So the fact that I've been with you guys for, I don't even know how many episodes now, and we've barely had to redo these, uh, props to you quads. Last and week Faber. We to, yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes I, I do alone it. Last week, I had to redo it. I kept screwing up. Yeah, and sometimes I do it, and, I, and like Quads has it down to like a script where I just go through it as how I I just make sure that I hit the promo codes, hit the. Uh, sometimes he forgets the promo the code, which is always fun. Yeah, so he's like, "What's our promo code again?" Behind the scenes, a little bit we have messed up, but yeah, ever, I don't know. Quads puts on uh, you know puffs his At chest least up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. When, yeah. when you're in studio. Quads, you know, doesn't miss, so that's good. Yeah, exactly. I rarely miss, to be honest with you. Except with your takes in hockey. No. But yeah. We, oh, I didn't even write it down. Tyler Myers. We got to talk about Tyler Myers today, boys. We got a lot to talk about. Let's start with the last two games that the Vancouver Canucks have played. Obviously, Wednesday night in Anaheim, Thursday evening in L.A. They find the result they want with a strong game. Well, I think, what about this? Uh, what It's New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's at the back of the show. We're going to talk about it at the end. There's actually a lot to talk about. Yeah, Don't but start us with George this. over here is going to be skipping Whatever. seven minutes ahead. Whatever. George doesn't have to skip today. George can... George, just, okay, fine. He's just missing hockey we're not, talk. We're not starting with off-topic stuff. We have a lot to talk about. Let's actually get to it. We'll talk about New Year's Eve Freaking crack the whip here. I built the place, and now I'm getting pushed well, out whatever. of whatever. We'll maybe do a Patreon, like we okay. said. We did say we were going to do a Patreon. Then we started running. They're late. winning. I think we should stay on topic, <laughs> at least to start. We'll do a Patreon <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, yeah. New, Year's, New Year's Day, we'll yeah, wrap then up. We'll, then we'll, we'll talk about all the off-topic stuff. Patreon.com slash Canucks combo. Right. People came here for a Canucks tier. podcast. They want to Canucks Get you all the bonus content. Five and $10 tiers. Uh, Canucks combo. Patreon.com slash Canucks combo. I'm going to get back on track now after the man who... Built the place, heavy air quotes there, comes and tries to derail us. So let's get back on topic here. Obviously, they find the result they wanted on Wednesday night against Anaheim. And what I think is probably the strongest game they've played in the Bruce Boudreaux era, like from front to back, the most complete game they've played. Uh, Thursday night, they don't find the result they want. In the second period, specifically, Bruce Boudreaux said that they were horrible. Harmon, I'll start with you. Just your thoughts on the past two games. I know it's hard to kind of split those up, but do your best. Yeah, I think overall it's it's a good outcome for the team. I mean, collecting three of four possible points, 
Um, obviously, it would have been nice. You look at Anaheim and LA; those are kind of teams that the Canucks are trying to catch. It would have been, you know, they became three point games, right? So even though the Canucks won, they only gained one on Anaheim, uh, and and so that's obviously not ideal. But coming back from the break, they're obviously at a point where they would have had confidence, but would have lost their momentum and rhythm. So to come back and to sort of start the back-to-back really strong and set the tone that way, I think was really, really important. Um, and then I, I guess it wasn't too surprising to see them kind of fall flat against um, L.A., right? It's the first um, back-to-back since essentially having two weeks off. And so they were going to be tired on the second leg of that. And they were going to be lacking rhythm, going to be lacking their timing. And I think we saw that with a lot of their uh, zone exits, particularly just unable to kind of connect transition play, very sloppy and, uh, you know, miscommunication and things just weren't gelling. And they looked like a team that hadn't played in a while and was tired. So it wasn't too much of a surprise. But to me, the fact that they even found a way to claw back and win was in my books, um, uh, a, a, a mini W in it of itself, because there have been so many games this season where the team plays decently and they come up empty, and we we end up we we'd end up here in Travis Green, um, sort of pushing that narrative again. And guys are just sick of that. We heard Miller talking about that after the Anaheim game as well, that they don't want to talk about playing well and and coming uh, coming up empty handed. So this was almost the opposite, where they played pretty poorly and yet they still found a way to scratch and claw their way to at least getting a point. That, to me, is a sign of a team that believes. And I think coming back from two deficits is going to instill some confidence. Obviously, you want to play with the lead, but even in that Anaheim game, they deserve to have the lead early. They just absolutely peppered John Gibson. So the fact that they went down, and in a game where early in the season, you go down in the Anaheim game, and especially the LA one, there's no way they would have had the legs. They would have had the will to kind of battle back um, and have that belief. And we even heard Bruce Boudreau talk about just how important psychologically that belief element is. And it's sort of really, I think, shown itself over these last two games. And yeah, picking up three or four points, I think, is is overall definitely a good outcome. Yeah, definitely felt like two very different games that probably should have had two different outcomes. You look at how well they played against Anaheim, specifically in that second and third period. I mean, like you could just tell the whole time, even though the Canucks were losing, like they were going to win that game or they were going to get points out of that game. Uh, the second period was excellent. That's exactly what JT Miller said. Like he, he even said in the post game, like we knew we had them in the second period. So he was all like the team was confident. We haven't seen a lot of confidence from this team in the first 25 games within these past uh, past eight games like man there's a, such a different confidence to this group but then they came out and had a second period like you don't see this number a lot but 36 shot attempts for the Kings in the second period six for the Vancouver Canucks they were completely outplayed Bruce Boudreaux said they were horrible and I think a lot of it was to do with probably having the back-to-back after two weeks off like man that's a lot to ask of your players um, you, you would expect a better performance just in general. Like, you know, Boudreaux kind of mentioned that it's not even a really an NHL team that was out there on the second of back-to-back. Like, And the fact that they got a point out of it still was, I think, a good outcome for this road trip in California. If you're starting off of a huge break with back-to-back games on the road, coming out of it with three out of four points is a big win. Would have taken trip. it would have taken that any like 10 mm-hmm. times out of 10. Yeah. And even against teams that you, like you mentioned, like, you know, giving Anaheim a point, 
I mean, right now, I think the how far the Canucks are down, it, it's just about them getting points and getting wins, even if it is in overtime right now. Just like starting to stack up some of those wins. I think that those points probably will add up at, by the end of the season. But right now, I think just getting wins is the big question because you need wins to even get into a playoff conversation. So I wouldn't be too worried about giving up one point right now. But, you know, maybe down the road, it does end up kind of coming to bite you a little bit when you're you know, not able to secure a win. Like the Canucks should have won that game in Anaheim in regulation. Like they were playing well enough to do it. John Gibson was excellent. And, you know, kind of to, like I said, it's two games, very different stories. It felt like Halak was the same way uh, for the Vancouver Canucks against the Kings. Cause you saw what they did in the second period. You saw what they did in the first period. It, third period felt like a little bit of a better bounce back for the Canucks, but Halak, he was, man, he was excellent against the Kings quads. I know you got some apologizing to do. I already did it. already did it after that Columbus game. I thought he was great in, People were making fun of me. They're like, he wasn't good. He only made two saves. He was good in that Columbus game, and he was great last night in Harmon. I know you and I were just talking about it before we kind of went to air here about the importance of Halak turning in that performance, especially with Bruce Boudreaux as the coach. And I'll kind of just let you talk about that because you were the one that kind of brought it up, and you made a great point. Yeah, and it's that Bruce Boudreaux, I think, is someone who has a history of really riding his number one goalie, and especially when you consider the stakes of how far the Canucks are back and how much ground they need to make up it would have been sort of it, it was so important for Halak to sort of nail this first impression right Boudreaux himself said it that he once ran uh Jonas Hiller in Anaheim for 31 straight starts that doesn't sound real like I don't know if anyone's I don't know if it was actually this. 31 31 Someone starts has to but, fact check this because it doesn't feel real to start a goalie 31 starts in a row but but the point is, the actual number doesn't really matter. I right. guess the point is, he, like, Boudreaux is going to ride his number one if he trusts him. And for Halak coming in, especially with the way the Columbus game sort of started, three soft ones. I, I mean, I, I think one of the, only one of them was really bad, but three goals still against in the first period. I'm sure Boudreaux is thinking, man, I, man, did we really sort of, potentially disrupt our winning streak here yeah. by playing Halak here. Uh, and especially to it also matters because that was Ian Clark sort of making that call to go to Halak. And I think with Green and, and Clark, Green sort of left it to Ian to sort of make a lot of those decisions of, of who to start based off the schedule and how, how the goals, goalies were feeling. And I think that also mattered, Halak's performance did, to sort of build that trust between Clark and Boudreaux, right? Of Boudreaux can turn to his goalie coach and trust that he's going to make the right call. Because imagine that Clark makes a call for Halak in that Columbus game and they end up losing in large part because Halak can hold the fourth down in the first period. I mean, if you're Boudreaux, you're immediately thinking, man, I came in here, I, I, I started sort of hot and, and now I went to my backup and he let us down, right? So for Halak to come in and sort of stabilize in that Columbus game and then play as excellently as he did against LA last night and steal a point. That's really important because now he's got the trust of Boudreaux can turn to him for the second leg of back-to-backs. And it's not a situation where in the next back-to-back, Boudreaux has to think about, man, can I even trust Halak if it's a big game where they really need points against a divisional opponent? Yeah, and that's super important because, you know, Woodley, obviously, and I talk about this a lot, about how that was a really good relationship between Travis Green and Ian Clark. But it wasn't always that way in Vancouver. And it wasn't always that way. It, it's not always that way around the NHL and with other NHL organizations. In fact, it's not really that common that the goalie coach is the one making the call. But 
ultimately that's basically what happens here in Vancouver. So to see that that worked out the way it did, that was huge on so many levels because as you just alluded to now, Boudreaux trusts Halak, but he also trusts his goalie coach to still help him make that call. Again, we don't know the relationship just yet. If it's, uh, if it's still Ian Clark making the call, I mean, it's pretty easy on most nights to make that call. Um, but again, like obviously that Columbus game, Boudreaux said that was a gutsy call by Ian Clark, which would suggest that Ian Clark was the one that uh, told him to start Halak, and that's that's what he went with. So it's important on many levels. You feel for Halak, man. This is the fourth start now in eight games where he's only gotten one goal support. That's that's like that's tough. That's what so, did he do to so piss bad. off his teammates? Like, yeah, did he? I was gonna say the hockey gods or something. Did he out himself as a Jim Benning and, and Travis Green supporter? Did he like what yeah, happened? He got that there? nice bonus from Jim yeah, Benning. Once maybe he got that bonus from Jim Benning. He became a loyalist. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's going to hit his bonuses. Uh, you know. Oh uh, yeah. Was it nine oh five? Was the save percentage that he needed? No, I think it was even a, t- a games played, just like ten games. Yeah, it's yeah. ten games. Nine oh five is the bet that I have with Dranson. I think that's part of the bonus though too. Nine oh five. No, I think the, there's two different numbers in the oh nine ten yeah nine oh five is the bet that I have okay. that I'm almost still, certainly going to lose. Still very possible. I, I mean, you know, the way that Halak played yesterday, like I, I don't know, maybe it's just it's such a different style from Halak to Demko, but like he kept the puck out of the net really well. But it just, I don't know, maybe it's because Halak like doesn't look like he takes up a lot of the net, and that might be what worries me a little bit. But Matt Quads, I know you've talked about this. This the way that yeah. Halak reads plays. Is what you like about it? It's 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 insane watching the way he reads plays, and that's the only only reason he's stuck in the league this long is the way he's able to read and anticipate. It's like second to none in the NHL. It's it's bonkers, and I think when you watch him play, like I know you guys have both probably heard me give this take, so maybe it's not something you like noticed before. But if you pay attention to it and like try and see how he moves before shots are even taken or passes are even made. Like then you really notice it because he doesn't react to what happens in front of him. He predicts what's going to happen in front of him, and he does it really well. It's it's really something to watch, especially if you like. Now uh, again, listeners, now that you have this information, next time you watch the Halak start, just watch how he anticipates, and like you can see it right away. It's crazy. But that being said, I still didn't like his technical side, like to his game when he came, and that's why I was not a huge fan when I saw him in training camp and everything, and. You know, I was warned uh, by a few people, Kevin Woodley being the big one, basically being like, hey, it's not always about uh, style. Like, sometimes it's just about results and how they get those results. And I was like, it's not sustainable. He's he's washed. He's old. Tell that to uh, Mikey DiPietro on the other yeah, side. Exactly. The other thing, the other thing, too, is and um, I sort of had this conversation with, with Woodley as well at uh, one of these um, last practices come, coming back for the break. I just think. Halak is at the point where I don't think he gives a crap about practices or, or, or training Kevin, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like you can sort of tell. So even if even your initial take, I wonder how much of that was just him just being a veteran guy, knowing that he's got got an NMC and, and yeah, he's got yeah. that backup. Because I'll tell you what, he's got such a carefree attitude where it was funny watching. I think it was the practice right before they flew or sorry, the Boxing Day practice mm. uh, and almost Every Canucks player stayed out for extra work, and Halak was just, uh, "I'm done." Uh, first guy off the ice, <laughs> and usually, usually the backup goalie is out, sort of like doing extra reps because he, because he doesn't get game action, right? And you have Demko on one end of the ice, still like um, in net, helping guys with drills, and Halak's just like, ah, "I'm out. I'm a veteran. I don't need this." And it to me, honestly, though, 
it takes a certain mental makeup to sort of thrive in the role that Halak has because his starts have been so inconsistent. He's got no sort of chance to build rhythm and momentum. And we know how much Jacob Markstrom, for example, talked about when I've got rhythm and I'm playing well, I just want to play, 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 give me as many starts as I can. And Halak is the clear number two. He's not getting that. And I think that's part of the reason why he'd often have slow first periods where in the games against like Detroit and Columbus and some of the other ones too, he'd allow a soft first period goal and you'd be like, oh man, is this going to be a bad start? But then he'd sort of dial himself in and he'd be excellent the rest of the way. So kudos to him for finding a way to just even mentally dial in and find his game despite not having a chance to really build rhythm and and get consistent game action. I'm curious because you just got a haircut harm. Yes. What, where, what do you think Halak asked for? Because he, he's got like a rounded mohawk. Right? I don't like even a, know what that is. It's like a almost like a hook. It's a mohawk that like hooks, right? Like it's or maybe diagonal. I like, think it suits him well. I know. Like I, I think he's had it I, for a while. I don't now know. Too. I, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I'm just curious. Like what you ask? Like do you go to the barber and do you say, "Hey, I'd like um, I'd like, like the Halak a diagonal mohawk." I'd like the Halak. Like it works. I think it works for him. But like the first time he came out, uh, that first like media availability, yeah. I was like, holy cow. Well, maybe that that's is wild. And it was like a fresh cut at the time, too. Is is his um, hairline like wide enough or is it just like that's what's left? Maybe I think that's what's left. Right. So that might He's be working why. with it. Then he's evolving. Yeah. Into that's, it. Why I, that's why I dig it. Like, that's why I really like it because mm-hmm. he's he's thriving. All right. That's my piece on Halak there. Talk about the hair. Yeah, excellent. Excellent contribution. What's next up on the list here? Well, folks? do we have anything else about Halak or are we ready to just Jeez, move we on spent here? about 15 minutes. It's I starting mean, to turn yeah. into the I Woodley episode him. here. <laughs> I feel for him. This might be his last chance to represent Slovakia at the Olympics, and that's taken away from him. So I definitely feel for him there. That sucks. But who knows? Like the way he's playing, he'll, he'll be there when he's like a couple more years. I mean, I can't think of another Slovakian goalie that's coming up that's going to maybe be better than him by the time Halak's 40. There'll be some prospect. I'll find him. I'll find him. Games postponed. That's the other thing on the list. Oh, man. January 5th. Let's go back to Halak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wrote an article today on Canucks Army about the potential postponements here on January 5th and 8th, the Canucks' first two home games of the month of January. And Harmon, we had you on a couple weeks ago. You talked about how difficult the month of January is going to be for the Canucks already. So basically my take was it, on this on this whole thing was basically these potential postponed home games could make a worrisome month of January even worse. And I asked Bo Horvat about it last night, and basically here's what he had to say. He said it's frustrating. Obviously, we want to play in front of our home fans. We want to have at least we want to have last change and want to have that advantage. And it's frustrating that we're not going to be able to do that with the restrictions going on in Canada. It's going to be a tough month for us coming up with a lot of road games. And again, we're going to have to fight through the adversity. So that was Canucks captain Bo Horvat, what he had to say about it. And the New York Islanders whole Canada trip is postponed because of COVID. It's not related to uh, what this article was about. And that was about uh, the NHL just wanting to maximize revenue by not having games north of the border where there's capacity restrictions and I think the way the NHL is looking at it, and again, not reporting anything, just kind of reading between the lines, is BC's current restrictions are in effect until January 18th, 2022. The Canucks' next home game after these first two is January 21st against the Florida Panthers. Now, again, I don't know for sure, but I'm 
I'm pretty positive that the league is looking at that and saying, oh, well, the restrictions will be up by then. It'll be good. It'll be good to go. And and who knows? Maybe they're right. Maybe it'll be at 100% capacity after the 18th. Maybe Omicron miraculously uh, gets under control and they're fine with the, everything. And they're like, okay, 100% capacity is fine. But you're also running a huge risk of what if the BC government comes out on the 18th and says, you know what? That 50% capacity was a bit much. We're going to go to 25 or we're going to have no fans at all like they're doing in other provinces. So I kind of looked at it and I said, like, that's a dangerous game that the league is playing by postponing all those Islanders games in Canada just because of the restrictions in Canadian cities with attendances. Like, yeah, it was Minnesota at Ottawa has been postponed. Basically, any time the, the Islanders or Minnesota or Vegas, these are the teams that are affected, had to go into had to go into a Canadian city, they postponed it for the next basically month until January 16th, Edmonton at Winnipeg. That's the last one. And that's the only one that's been postponed between two Canadian teams. So we presume that the Canucks will have one home game against Ottawa uh, on the 8th. So that's kind of what we're assuming at this time. But like I said, seems like a dangerous Changes game. every day, right? Like, so there's going to be something two days from now is going to be different from what we're hearing today. So, I mean, to see the postponements a little bit early was kind of surprising to me, but that to me, also the read that I get it on is like, yeah, they want to play games in the United States. They have full capacity. Maybe they can get to that point. As you mentioned on the 21st for the Canucks is uh, home game at that point. I, I don't know. I, I think it's also kind of, tough for the Canucks organization or whether it be any of these Canadian teams to actually figure out how they want to do 50% capacity. And with all those time, with all this time off now, because of the Olympics not happening, well, at least NHL players not going to the Olympics. Like I do think that they're hoping that it's going to be better by March. They cannot worry about having to set up uh, a 50% capacity game because we haven't seen that, right? Like we are supposed to see a 50% capacity game at the end of December with the Vancouver Canucks playing at home, but we just had those games postponed as well we're up to six games postponed now for the Vancouver Canucks. There is a lot of time in March to fill those games in. And maybe we can hope, like he said, like maybe they're hoping and just projecting that things will be better by then. But uh, kind of like you said, Harm, like we can't really predict much more with COVID. It's kind of tough. Yeah. And it's actually, I, th- I think the Olympic breaks in February, but I right, think yeah, I wonder right. how much I haven't even looked into it, how much building availability the Canucks have. Although I guess, just with the way Omicron's spreading anyway, a lot of these concerts and other events that were kind of booked might be sort of, I wonder how many of those dates get po- uh, get pushed back, right? Because even something like Joe Rogan coming to Vancouver, I think that was canceled or something. And yeah. there have been other sort of concerts but and events. Joe Rogan's because he doesn't want to get vaccinated. All right. That's I forgot about that. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. And they basically were like, you're not performing here if you're not vaccinated and he's not getting vaccinated. Right. So but my, my point is, I think there were sort of other concerts and events that have kind of been yeah, pushed back as well. Absolutely. And so I don't know. I, I just it, it, it's funny. I the other day was um, after Tom Myers had kind of came out and, and made some pretty strong comments about the way the NHL was handling protocols and his frustration level with that and, you know, his agreement with Steve Eiserman on essentially not testing asymptomatic uh, players. I asked JT Miller, the practice after about sort of his thoughts on what the pro or what are the pro on the protocols and how the league's been handling all this, because I figured, you know, Miller's an outspoken player. If he has something on his chest, he'll say it. Right. Yeah. And at this, and at that point he's just like, Honestly, Harmon, I, I I've I've said all I can about about COVID. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of tired about talking about it. And honestly, I feel I feel his vibes pretty strongly. I mean, True. 
things are just going to change. It's out of our control. And um, I don't think anyone here, anyone even at the NHL level can predict what things are going to look like. For, forget about in a month or two, what things are even going to look like in a couple of weeks. This is such a evolving situation day to day. And I think but if you're looking at a good sort of summary of the situation, Bob McKenzie, I don't know if you guys saw the clip mm-hmm. of him sort of talking about COVID and um, at a societal level and, and how hockey has been a microcosm of it. And, you know, if you, if you can find it on Twitter, definitely go check it out because I thought he put this entire sort of tough situation that we're in as a society. He, he put it Did really it on live well. TV on live too. TV. He articulated that really well. We can so. play it. We, you know, this isn't a sports and don't show. We can play that. We'll, we'll play that clip right now. These things. So there's the micro look at, the World Juniors has been canceled today, but this is this is a rolling story from from before all the way to now. And what it what it reinforces to me too, as we talk about this being a micro issue, is that this is a microcosm of what society is going to have to deal with in the days and weeks and months ahead. This variant is different than the Delta variant, different than the original one. Um, as I said off the top, there's two segments of extreme populations out there, and that is. This is nothing but a cold. Just don't test anybody and let's live our lives and we're going to be fine. Well, that's all well and good. But if you look at the medical system, it might be collapsing and it's already teetering because of everything everybody went through. And doctors and nurses got so fed up and so many of them have quit and retired and and said that's it and enough nonsense. Um, So there's that element on the extreme end. And then there's the other extreme says these are terrible times and we better all pull the blankets over our head and we better lock everything down until this thing goes away. Well, guess what? It isn't going away. And Omicron is different than Delta. So. You see the NHL trying to figure its way out here. You see the CDC in the United States just reduce quarantine times to five days. Mm-hmm. Everybody is trying to figure out how to coexist because our mental health and our economy can't take a full lockdown, but our medical system can't take a, oh, you know what, it's just a cold. Go ahead. Don't even worry about it. Don't even test anybody. There's something in between, but every day it changes. The target keeps changing because... We don't have enough information yet on the variant. And so. well, everyone wants. Again, that was from TSN's Bob McKenzie. So, Harmon, just kind of your thoughts on that, because I know you and I just touched on it. Like, really crazy to do that on live TV, like to give that kind of a, I don't want to use the word speech, but to say everything he said on live TV without a script. That's pretty good. That's it, it, it's why it, he's the Bob father. Literally. And so, I mean, I literally can't add anything to what he said. Yeah, exactly. Like I think that's he, all I kind of have to say on this. It's changing every day. And yeah, I think he summed it up pretty well. I don't think anybody wants a full lockdown anymore. Um, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head there. And obviously, we still want to take it seriously and do what we can and, you know, obviously follow guidelines and everything like that. But it's also, you know, the people are getting frustrated, which is, I think, fair. We, yeah. we see that more and more. And I think it's okay to be frustrated. And I think it's okay to be... Uh, little bit upset about some things that uh, that are going on around the world right now. So we'll cut to break. On the other side, you've got a spicy Jason Dickinson take for us, and we've got our poll question as well. We'll get to all that on the other side. So keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks Conversation. Winter is quickly approaching, but wait. That means your favorite seasonal brew is back to cheer you up. The Tukes of Hazard is now available across British Columbia and Alberta in their government and private liquor stores. 
This extra strong brew has a whopping 9.2% alcohol, big hop punch, even bigger body and aroma, and just a touch of white haze. The Parallel 49 fan favorite is smoother than a freshly cleaned ice rink. And a massive thank you to all of our sponsors here at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Harmon, you've got a spicy Jason Dickinson take for us. Lay it on us. Yeah, so I shared it in the armies last night. And it's essentially, when I look at Jason Dickinson on the wing, right, where he's playing right now since Bruce Boudreaux took over. All right, follow, follow me here. He's been reliable defensively. He's good along the boards. He's got a good stick defensively. His details on both ends of the ice have been extremely sharp. He can't finish at all. <laughs> and he's playing higher up the lineup than he ideally should be as the defensive conscious next to Bo Horvat. Jason Dickinson is 2019-20 Louis Erickson. Amazing. Amazing take. It was bang on when he told us this in the pre-show here. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, it's nice that he's not making $6 million. <laughs> and the thing is, like, I don't know, maybe you... Yeah, can, I didn't mean that in a disparaging right. way either, right? Like, yeah, I've actually... Something. Sorry sorry to c- cut you off. I, I just want to clarify. Like, I say this because I was watching Dickinson play the last couple of games. And I was like, man, he's making really strong plays in the defensive zone, for instance, with the puck, little bumps and um, to sort of even help on breakouts and just hounding pucks. And, and he's been, he's been playing really well, but again, he just can't finish. And yeah. so I was just like, that kind of reminds me of 1920 Louis when he was still effective. Right. And I think the thing with Dickinson for me is like, he is getting chances. It just, he can just not finish. Like he's in, he's in the right spot. I like how much he actually spends in front of the net uh, when there is actual offense going on, when he's in the offensive zone with those top players, but he just, Something about it, like he can't finish the way like he just doesn't have the hands in tight to really capitalize on a lot of these scoring chances that I think he gets a decent amount of. It just seems like he just can't finish. And I don't know, maybe that is a little bit of the Louis curse. Yeah, one point in eight games since Boudreaux took over playing in the top six. So he's playing well, but it's just like there's got to be a bottom line. And that's where I think we heard Boudreaux sort of express a little bit of frustration as well, where He's like, we've got to get more production out of guys that are, you know, outside of our top players, right? And we even heard Jim Rutherford on 650 today talk about the fact that the bottom six needs an upgrade. And you know what? He's 100% right. And I mean, I just think back to, okay, okay, so this sequence the other day was so, so funny. I have to bring this up. There was a play where Quinn Hughes led his own entry into the offensive zone. He was on the ice with the fourth line. And so he does all the work to get into the zone. Um, the fourth line starts cycling the puck. And then after that, what happens is uh, Hughes picks up the puck at the uh, at the sort of half wall again, sort of dances around, makes a million moves, uh, spins, creates a, a great scoring chance for himself out of thin air. Matthew Heimer picks up the rebound. Glorious chance. That should, that, that should have been a, an assist for, for Hughes. Somehow flubs it. Yeah. And then Yuho Lamico... And I'm sure he was at that point is just kind of like, okay, whatever, like that's fine, but at least I'll have a chance to reset at the point. Yuhalamico collects the collects the puck behind the net. He turns around, swipes to pass back to the point. No literally nobody is there. And Hughes, you can see as the camera sort of pans, just like looks to the heavens, just like is frozen there. It, in, with a look of like, are you are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and then he just waves to go out for a light change, and I'm like Quinn, I feel you, man. Dude. That fourth line has no offense. 
the fact you just brought that up, I was like trying to jog my memory and I remembered that exact moment, like as you described it. And yeah, it's like, yeah, the fourth light sucks. It sucks. And it's, yeah. And it was so funny. Yesterday on 650, when, uh, when Highmore got in the lineup, we had like someone text in and be like, Nick Patan's got to get a shot. And it's like, man, Dowling, Highmore, Patan, these are all sideways moves. Like, wait, are you guys saying that you didn't like them? Yes, I I liked the fourth line in the game yesterday. They've they been fine, but overall they, they've, they've had nothing energy. to offer. I, I had a feeling that there was like that they were generating enough offense, like a, no, a solid amount of offense finish. in the fourth line. No. They, they were fine last game, That's but what I'm I was talking saying, like, the big thought, picture. Last okay, game they were yeah. fine. I'm talking just like overall. Right. None of them can finish, and yeah, Harmon <laughs> broke down a specific. moment. It might be time for Phil DiGiuseppe to get in that lineup on that fourth once line. He, well, once, once he, gets he recovers COVID. from COVID, yeah. Yeah. right? But also, he, he's a guy who has been a pretty good, done a pretty good job of finishing in the AHL for sure. Interesting thing from Patrick Johnson of Post Media today: Brock Besser might be stuck in Anaheim. Not a bad place to be stuck, but still stuck in Anaheim for 14 days. Where Phil and Who's the other player that went in COVID protocol? My goodness. Well, him and Brock and Justin Dowling. Justin Dowling. My goodness. Sorry, I forgot. Forgot about you, Dowling. Dowling and DiGiuseppe, because they're Canadian citizens, can both come back to Canada after like seven days. Uh, But Besser has to stay longer because he's American. It's this whole wrinkle thing. And as PJ said, it's as clear as mud. So go read PJ's article about that. Usually I only plug Canucks Army, but that was a good read by PJ as he tried to um, kind of figure out when Besser can come home because... No one really knows. Tough. And yeah, you're like, oh, it's not bad. It's Anaheim. He's still just like stuck in a hotel room, though, isn't he? Yeah. For five days, for sure. Yes. For f- yes. So he has to he has to stay for five days. He has to take a PCR test on Sunday, and that has to come back negative, uh, and then he can he can leave. You guys ever used a VCR? Yes. Yes. Both you have. Okay. Yes. I was wondering one. if that was before your time. No, still on one. Okay. Cool. I just had to throw that up. Me there. too. <laughs> yeah. My grandpa's got uh, all of the Godfather movies on VHS, but they're all on one VHS. So mm. we like we once had a day where I was like, hey, let's watch The Godfather. And I like put it in and sat through three hours for the first one. And then like second one started and it was probably like six o'clock. I came after school and he was like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to go home. He's like, what do you mean? Like, it's just starting. I was like, what? You watch all three at once? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, not today. We're I'm good. We're not going to watch all three of them back to back to back. Well, if we want to get the other topic of COVID out of the way as well, the Abbotsford Canucks are getting ravaged with COVID right now. And you're, this will come out on Saturday, so the story will be out by then, but you're going to work on a story. Yeah, I'll see if out. I can get yeah. some more information about it. But listen, a lot of these guys went home for the holidays. Um, a lot of them crossed the border in the United States for the holidays. A lot of them stayed some extra time after the, the game against Manitoba was postponed as well. I know that a few of them extended their holidays a little bit, and they were expecting to return home kind of today and yesterday uh, and as they are attempting to return home the quote that i've gotten from the organization is that it is a lot um, they haven't told me a direct amount of number just yet we'll work on that but um, not great news of course and uh, you know what i was joking about it on radio the other day quads but like maybe daniela klimovich is the forward that gets called <laughs> up now you know depending on how many like i don't think klimovich went home to belarus i'm guessing oh, he stayed in abbotsford point. and if he did you know if he was able to avoid it <laughs> Canucks need to make a call for a forward to come up there. And I know a lot of, you know, veterans like, well, even not really veterans, but Jack Rathbone went home. We heard that from Aiden McDonough. I know Justin Bailey was at home as well uh, in Buffalo. And and Bailey might be the guy because I know that he's already tested positive for it. So hopefully he can avoid it moving forward. But, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's Klimovich time. Somebody, someone's going to have to get called up. They only have 12 healthy forwards right now. 
um, on the Vancouver Canucks' active roster. So someone's either going to have to be added to the taxi squad or actually called up to the the active roster right now because you, you don't want to roll in there with 12 guys and yeah. risk that Kyle Burrows is going to have to play forward pretty soon. Yeah, although Brad Hunt can play forward. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Burnaby Express legend. Get him back on the power play there. Huh. Yes, there you go. Get him on his one-timer side. All right. The other thing we had to talk about, Pedersen. On Twitter, seems like everybody's talking about trading Pedersen for some reason. Uh, I think we're going to all agree on this, but look, I'm just going to go on a bit of a tangent here. I don't know if Canucks fans are too used to Jim Benning that they scoff at the idea of trading someone like JT Miller, which to be clear, I think is a bad idea, and I don't think that the Canucks should trade JT Miller. But I'm more willing to listen to the idea of trading JT Miller than I am Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson is not only younger, turned in one of the best performances, like almost unprecedented performances that we've seen from anybody on an entry-level contract. He's on his second contract. He's 23 years old, struggling right now, so his value is lower than it's ever been. And there are Canucks fans saying, trade him, get rid of him, keep Miller. We need, we need money to extend Miller. Do you hear yourselves? Like, I just, let's trade a guy when his value is at its lowest, but when it, when a guy is seventh in the league in scoring, that's my phone, Chris, do not trade him. That's the idea that fans have right now. It makes no sense to me. Like, I don't think you should trade either of these guys, but to sit there and suggest that you need to trade Pedersen in order to make room for Miller, it's insane. I just... I think it's I think it's baffling to even see this take being thrown around on Twitter right now. Yeah, and it has been interesting though to see Rutherford's sort of evaluation of Pedersen in both his press conference when he took over uh, and was introduced to the media, and on 650 today, his evaluation of Pedersen has been pretty lukewarm. He hasn't, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily a challenge to him to say, we need a lot more from you. I don't know what exactly it is, but yeah, I mean, I, we're all on the same page about this in terms of even if you, even if you did want to move him, the timing would make no sense. Guy's got 17 points in 33 games and it's like, it's almost like stock investing, right? When everyone's saying sell now, sell now, when people are panicking about whether it's a stock or in this case a player, odds are it's probably a better better time to to be buying, right? If you're if if right. if you see you buy the dip, baby, yeah, buy the dip, right? <laughs> like if 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 Lee's Pedersen was on the market today, if I was in the in the market for number one center and I had a lot of sort of assets, hell yeah, I'd be trying to buy low on Lee's Pedersen. Absolutely. I mean, you don't just accidentally accomplish what he did at that young of an age and. He, to me, is the closest thing you have. If Elias Pettersson, let me put it this way. If Elias Pettersson plays up to his potential, what he's shown in the past, he's a franchise number one center. If he doesn't, you're screwed regardless. Like, you're not going to build a contender without a number one center. And for as well as Miller has played recently, he's a first-line caliber player, and yes, he can play the center. He's not a franchise number one center that you're going to win a Stanley Cup with. Yeah. And and it's just because it's not not his natural position, right? Even though he's played well there recently, so he just fits a lot better with the age group. You got to give it time. You got to give it give it patience, especially coming off, coming off the wrist injury. 
And we just got to kind of wait and see. Again, if you even if you do want to entertain the idea of moving him, you look at his contract situation or, or whatever reason you may have, you don't do it now. You don't do it when his value is lowest. This is just one of those things on Canucks Twitter where it's like the ratio. And I saw uh, Yerky had a good tweet about this this morning. But like the ratio of people saying stop talking about trading Pedersen compared to the people saying that they should trade Pedersen is so ridiculous. There's only like... There's a couple takes out there of people saying this. I don't know, man. Pedersen. The one thing I'll say is in the casual market, like it's different on Twitter, but I swear, like I there was a lot in the inbox yesterday. Yeah, there's there. probably a bunch of the Facebook uncles all. Yeah, the Facebook that. uncles. No, I, well, yeah. I, if we're being fair, the Facebook uncles have been trying to trade Pedersen for like three years. So <laughs> like, he's too skinny. Yeah, he's too but, small. He's European. The, the Facebook I, uncles they don't like that. I posted a TikTok of Pedersen Hoaglander uh, of Pedersen sort of. Uh, showing Hoglander how to improve his one-timer. And all the comments in there were literally all ripping Patterson. Like, it's nuts. It was just like, Hoglander should teach Patterson something about grit and determination, and they should ship him out. PD sucks. Like, it's... I, I think on Twitter, there's... You know, you're you're dealing with a lot more of the diehards, and those diehards tend to, I think, be... have better takes and be smarter fans. That's not to say that all casual fans don't know what they're talking about, but there is a higher percentage of people that have turned on Pedersen than I think we realize yeah. because we're so close to the situation. Um, whereas I think if you ask the average person who just watches the games on TV, um, a lot of them have done that. And and the reason, you know what it is, like a lot of people will say like, why are you even having this conversation? But you got to remember too, it's at least a conversation because Rutherford has sort of not been... Like he's not really given him the sort of franchise goalie label that he gave yes, exactly. Thatcher Demko, or he hasn't. Like when 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 Rutherford was asked about Pedersen and Hughes, he went off about just raving about how Hughes keeps getting better and better and better. And then with Pedersen, it was again it, there wasn't a whole lot there in terms of meaningful praise. And I'm not saying that that is Rutherford's going to trade Pedersen because that we're, he hasn't even come in and fully evaluated the team yet. But is it fair to say that Rutherford's going to come in and as as a sort of executive that isn't afraid to shake things up, is he going to be in evaluation mode trying to see what he has in Pedersen? Absolutely. He's going to be trying to gauge, is this my number one franchise center? Right? Because, I mean, that is sort of, like you can have that sort of question. I'm pretty confident that he still is a legit first line center, but the guy's got 17 points in 33 games, didn't get off to a great start last season. I'm sure Rutherford is at least in evaluation mode. So that's why I think even in the fan base, you're starting to have some of these like quiet conversations. But I'm sure all it's going to take is one heater for Pedersen yeah. to hopefully put this um, sort of chatter to, to rest here. Yeah, I get, where, I get where you guys are coming from. And you, you're right. Like, the, I guess the people that I people's opinions that I actually like care about on Twitter, I'm not seeing it from. Yes. But you are right that there is opinions from a lot of people whether it be in you know our Canucks Army comments I'm sure you're seeing it in the athletic comments a lot too uh just they are out there you you guys are definitely right about that like the uncles are out in full force for that yeah and I the think sun, sunglass uncles the sunglass <laughs> that's such a great way to describe them it's so perfect um there and except for the sunglass uncles that listen to our show because we appreciate you guys yeah. There's definitely some sunglass uncles that are taking offense. Not all sunglass uncles. Not though. all sunglass uncles are bad, Chris. <laughs> okay, sorry for putting them in a group together. <laughs> I think my dad technically falls under the category <laughs> of sunglass uncle. My dad is 100% a yeah. sunglass uncle. <laughs> yeah. not See, not all sunglass uncles are bad. Respect your sunglass uncles. Okay, where are we going with this? We're like Poll so question. lost. Poll question. Did you post it? 
Yeah, I posted it. I, Excellent. I put in all the work here. Excellent. I will pull up the poll question while I kill some time because, yeah, so poll question, episode 226, I Nailed believe, it. is this episode. Uh, brought to you by Blue Orca Sports Memorabilia at Fuel the Fan. Go check them out for all your sports memorabilia needs. Which player do you want to see have a bigger role in 2022 with the organization? Nils Hoaglander, Will Lockwood, Jack Rathbone, and as always, I'm angry. Chris, let's start with you. Yeah, I thought it was a good poll question, personally. I don't know. I, think what, I haven't is. seen what the answers are just yet, but for me, I especially after seeing Nils Huglander under Bruce Boudreaux, like play 12 minutes the other night, not really be a guy who's been used in the top six so much, even though we saw Travis Green kind of use him as the spark plug, I think is what he was calling him. Nils Huglander's like expected goals that he's putting up, even in 12 minutes of ice time, like second in expected goals the other day in Anaheim. He had seven scoring chances. Wouldn't mind seeing Nils Huglander get a bigger role and start to actually really start to look like a solid top six player. But to me, I like I'm going a hundred percent with Jack Rathbone here because I think that having him as your third pairing left shot defenseman under Bruce Boudreaux's aggressive system where he trusts defensemen to be able to move the puck. I think that's a perfect landing spot for Jack Rathbone. I think once he gets up here with Bruce Boudreaux, we're going to start to see a much better version of Rathbone once he can recover from the injury, which I expect him to be depending on what his COVID situation is, obviously, but I expect him to have recovered from that injury that uh, kept him out of the final few games of December there. So for me, I think I'm going to go with Jack Rathbone, but I can really see all three players. You know, there's a serious case for all three players, really. For me, I'm also going Jack Rathbone, and I'll just allude to somebody's comment who who left a reply beneath it at some Canucks fan said, "How about I'm going to be angry if Jack Rathbone doesn't get a bigger role?" I think that's me. I've been saying that for a while. Uh, I've been calling for it for a long time. I don't think uh, there's really a spot on this team for anybody other than him. Like I don't think Brad Hunt really fits in stylistically with the style that Bruce Boudreaux is going to play. Again, I don't think Kyle Burrows on his offside is anything to write home about. Uh, and again, I think we're very close. Like we've said in the past couple episodes, we're very close to seeing a Tucker Pullman healthy scratch. And Bruce Boudreaux, I asked him about it, and uh, he said he read an article. Harm, you and I had Rathbone articles one day apart, so he's yeah. either a, a VIP or he's a Canucks Army listener. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. <laughs> a so reader. I, I might have to text him to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Are you a VIP? Yeah. yeah um, I guess on that question, so a couple things there. Just to play devil's advocate, because I, I usually don't, and it's fun to sometimes. It is. <laughs> with uh, with Hoglander, so I've obviously long been a proponent of kind of giving him a bigger role, and I think Green didn't utilize him enough, definitely. And in fact, I wrote about that coming back from that nightmare road trip that they had in Colorado and um, Vegas and um, in Anaheim, where he was the team's only offensive piece going, and yeah. he was still playing 12, 13 minutes a night. Recently, I will say, though, that he has not been good defensively, I think, which is to be expected, right? He's so, so young, and I think a lot of people forget that his development was kind of fast-tracked, making the team uh, quicker than I think a lot of people anticipated. And you look at sort of the underlying numbers, the shots against rate, I think in the eight games that Boudreaux has, has, has sort of managed the team so far, I think the team's allowing something like 42 shots against uh, shots on goal um, against per 60 minutes when Hogland has been on the ice, like his defensive numbers in terms of what the team is allowing. Um, they're pretty ugly They're I, I think they're by far the worst among the forwards. So, and, and that's, you know what, like that's, Hoglander's always kind of been a high event player, right? He's someone who, and I've I've mentioned it in the past, and it was why I said what I did about Pod Colson likely not 
scoring as many points as Hoglander was, Hoglander always wants to create, right? He's someone that loves to carry the puck in. He wants to be dynamic. He wants to dangle through defenders. He wants to make crossing passes. And so he's going to create more offense, but he's also going to sort of turn a lot more pucks over and he's going to be um, higher event defensively. And so there is that sort of give and take. And most of the time he ends up on the positive side of the ledger. Um, whereas you compare him, compare him to someone like Pod Coles and he's a lot more low event uh, where he's not trying as much, so he's also not so he's not creating as much offensively, but he's also not allowing as much defensively. And so I think this is just one of those stretches where Hoglander is, I think, a little bit. I think we're we're not seeing him at his best in terms of his two A game. Where again, I think for the most part he has been on the right side of the ledger, and I think that's why he maybe hasn't played a ton in Boudreaux recently. Uh, and then with Rathbone, and, and this is one thing that I'm sort of curious about, and I want to pick the brain of other really smart hockey people on this topic, is Jack Rathbone, I think we can all agree, would be a good fit for the NHL team right now. But is that the best spot for his development? Where, you know, I interviewed him pretty recently and had that article go up. The guy's played 32 professional games in the last 18 months. He went nearly a year between games where I think it was like March 7th or 8th was... 8th was his last game in the NCAA, March 8th, 2020 or something. And then his next game was like late February with Utica in 2021. Like he went 12 months without playing a hockey game. We, we spent so much time talking about Mikey DiPietro not playing. I wonder how much that affected Rathbone. And in having that conversation with him, I'm sure he'd like to play in the NHL, but he also seemed really appreciative of the fact that, okay, I can come into Utica or Abbotsford now, can come into Abbotsford and I can play a ton of minutes, play 25 minutes a night and really round out my game. And, and he sort of mentioned that there's nothing that can replace game action in terms of the way that you're able to apply the concepts that you're learning because of the adrenaline difference, the pace, the intensity, the yeah. physicality. So I don't know. Is it better for him to be playing 15 minutes a night in the NHL or is it better for him to be playing 25 minutes a night and for him to dominate and then get to the point where he's pushing the envelope and then making the NHL team? Because I agree for the for the Vancouver Canucks today, Rathbone's probably your best option. But for Jack Rathbone's long-term development, if you want to groom him into a top four defenseman, is it better for him to play a sheltered third-pair role or is it better for him to sort of be a workhorse number one D in the AHL. And I think we're going to see some, some changes with taxi squad, especially moving forward here in the next few weeks. Like the AHL, if they're able to get back up and running, which is also going to be tough. The reason taxi squads are put into place are because so many COVID cases are happening in the NHL. Well, there's a lot of COVID cases happening yeah. in the AHL as well. I heard the other day about over 200. Uh, they've only had a hundred plus. They've had like 120 reported, uh, but a lot of teams like the Abbotsford Canucks, as I talked about earlier, aren't, reporting them publicly about how many COVID cases they have. So there's, there's an expectation. There's a massive amount. So I'm curious when the AHL even gets started here. So like you don't want him back on the tax squad for the reasons yeah. that you talked about harm. You don't want that. You, you want him playing at one of the two places, right? You need him playing in the AHL. If they're able to get back up and going into games or you need him in the NHL as a guy who can playing every day, play every day, practice with the team, be around NHL competition, I worry that the AHL is going to be well, you know, and it shouldn't like if you're actually just looking at organizations, how they should, they're, they're going to prioritize the NHL. That's the reason yeah. for a taxi squad is to prioritize NHL games being played. That's the big moneymaker. 
as much as the HL is developmental league, they are playing games right now. Like there are HL games going on, but Abbotsford might be a little bit of a struggle, especially with them being uh, the only team in their division that has to cross the border to go up and play against them. That could be something that could be a little bit tough as well. So I, I wonder if, if even like your idea is, is great getting him 25 minutes a night for the next few weeks. I don't know if that's possible. That's a good point. So I wonder if you have to get him up to the NHL, if he's healthy right now, just get him into games. And if he can play that, style and it's like you don't have to worry about waivers so maybe but yeah i don't it's tough to me to think because you're right like i would love to see him go down and play games but if he's consistently playing in the nhl it's not like you want to be like yeah this is great but we also now want to make you go to the ahl and play 25 games it's either like you got to keep him in the a right now and get him running on those 25 minutes a night games or you have to call him up to the nhl right now and just stick with it because you don't want to keep throwing him back down i don't think like if the canucks are playing well and, and jack rathlon looks like a capable third pairing guy i don't think you need to throw him down to hope that he develops more i think that there's a good value of development in the nhl as well yeah although is he and this is the one thing that i've sort of even long term in terms of his fit with the organization i've been wondering right like Hughes is your power, power play one quarterback oel isn't going anywhere he's your he's your second power play quarterback how do you get Jack Rothman enough minutes? Yeah, that's true. It really is. It, like at five on Especially five. Especially in a playoff chase where man, like the stakes are high here. This isn't this isn't a lost season anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they're I, I I've got to be honest, like when we were sort of at the start of this month and seeing what had kind of happened with this team entirely falling apart, I was like, okay, like this might be a lost season. But they've like I don't think anyone could have foreseen this. They're back in the race. So can, and I'm, 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 and I'm just wondering this. I'm not saying that the AHL is the better spot. It's just an open-ended question of, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. And and so I would be wondering if I'm in the Canucks' shoes, can we get Rathbone enough minutes, even in the NHL? Because he's not going to get the power play. He's not going to get the PK. Probably 12 minutes a night. Like, high. Yeah. Like, you know, I think, there would be nights where he'll play under, you know, under twelve for sure. But I think twelve would be a spot where twelve to fourteen. Yeah, like at because like, that's all five on five minutes. He might be able to kill penalties under Bruce Boudreau, but I would see Quinn Hughes getting so. out there before him, especially I, under I Boudreau. Think, yeah, I don't think you'd have a rookie, yeah, sort of defenseman who's still learning the defensive side of the game, killing penalties. So it's tough then with the AHL, especially the next few weeks, right? Like, because you, your point, I, I one hundred percent agree with Harm. I think that. Get Rathbone down there playing 25 minutes a night. Penalty killing, power play number one. Out there a ton. Playing with, with whatever best right shot defense when you have down there in the AHL. Whether it be Madison Bowie, Noah Juleson, whoever it is. And play the wheels off of them. But I, I don't know if I see that in the AHL games. Even when Rathbone's been healthy. I, I don't think he gets that deployment from Trent Call. He like needs he, it. He does on the power play. And he got sprinkles of time on the penalty kill, but I don't think he's the first pairing guy, and he should be. Like, not only skill wise, but also develop. Like, if you're looking at that team and you want them to develop players, and people whine about this all the time, you know, maybe whining is not the right word. Complain. People complain about this all the time because I think it's a fair thing to complain about with deployment in the AHL under Trent Cull. But I don't see Rathbone looking like a 25 minute guy in the AHL when he plays. And, and he should be. Like and even said. against the Barracuda, I mean, again, I've only gone out to Abbotsford to watch two games, right? So I'm you, you'll be able to speak on this a lot better than I can. But even in that game against the Barracuda that I went to the night that Jim Benning and Travis Green got canned, it was like I watched Rathbone, and you could see some of the strengths, but he got burned defensively on the, on a first period goal again. So mm-hmm. I'm, like, has what what do you make of his defensive game right now? 
I, I do think that they're like it's something he's focusing on, but I'm wondering how he's focusing and working on it. Like he mentioned from, a lot of video work. Yeah. And I think they do have a pretty like I think they have assembled a half decent video team for an NHL organization. Like yeah. I see those guys working. Like when I'm at practice, there's you know, there's four guys in that video room. That's the video department. I see them working with um Ian Beckenstein. Yeah. yeah. That's his name. Um I know that he's done a lot of work. I always see him in the office when they're at practice and I go to practice and, and you know, I haven't been there in a couple of weeks, of course. There hasn't been practices for me to go to with the Abbasur Canucks, but there's always the four guys in there doing a lot of video work and I've heard same as you with Rathbone talking about him doing a lot of video work with that group. So I would hope that that's happening and you're right. Like, I don't think he's, we haven't had a ton of views, honestly, though. Like, I I don't think there's been a consistent enough because of the injuries, because of him, him moving, uh, him being moved up and down the organization. We haven't like had like a full HL season to break down his defensive game, but you're right. There are things that, He's not perfect defensively, not perfect defensively in the NHL. Definitely not. You know, it's not like he's a, just a mate immediately comes to the AHL and is just amazing. He can outskate a lot of players, moves the puck. Just like you can tell when he's moving the puck in the AHL that he's that much better. But I don't think it's the same for his defensive play where you're like, look at how this guy's defending. He needs to be at the next level. The thing that that the thing that he does in the AHL where you say that is his puck moving. And I think that's why I like the fit under Bruce Boudreaux because a lot more Time is going to be spent with him moving the puck compared to defending, but he is still going to have to defend at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean, for me, just as a matter of philosophy, I tend to be, I'd rather have a prospect a little bit overripe than have them Mm -hmm. thrown into the fire before they're maybe ready. And so, I I mean, my perspective on this has always kind of been, if, if, again, and this this is all contingent on Abbotsford being up and running, but... If he plays, again, like 24, 25 minutes a night and he's dominating and he's looking good and and he's earned it, then you call him up. And then you know what happens? He comes up comes up to the NHL with confidence and with rhythm and momentum and with flow to his game. And again, he's only played 32 games in the last yeah. year and a half. He went nearly a, an entire year without playing. So it's been like when I think about Jack Rathbone's journey and this sort of development path, man, like it's been... It's been all over the map and on the taxi squad, NHL cameos, AHL, and a lot of it has been outside of his and Vancouver's control. But man, I just hope wherever he is, whether it's the NHL or the AHL, I just want him to play consistent games. That has to be the number one priority. Yeah, I agree. We'll have to see. Like COVID is going to be a big wrench into this too. So we'll see what happens. I I hope that they can get him down to the A and playing twenty five minutes a night. I think that would be the best thing for him to develop i just i just haven't seen it yet in the hl from all the games that i've watched all the times i've been out there i've like i watch him at practice and i thank god he's he's so much better than all these other defensemen whether it be shooting passing every drill that they do he's better than all the defensemen but i haven't seen him be better than all of the abbotsford canucks defensemen in games yet like i haven't seen a game yet where i've thought wow rathbone is head and shoulders above the other defensemen here he's good like he be you can see a lot of things that he does better than a lot of defensemen but there hasn't been that moment where i thought by far this is an nhl guy like i've seen that more with travis hamannick playing in an nhl game and he's had some bad nhl games but like i've seen one game where travis hamannick was like okay he looks like an nhl player playing against ahl players i haven't seen that from rathbone just yet and the other thing that i sort of like about Rathbone just to, just as um, a bit of a tangent is how competitive he is defensively like he right. he has work to do for sure and he's obviously a little bit on the undersized sort of uh, side of things but he's not Quinn Hughes right like you watch 
I, I remember the first training camp seeing Jack Rathbone. Like you can tell from afar when Quinn Hughes steps out that this guy's a small defenseman, right? Yeah. Um, when Jack Rathbone steps on the ice, you don't get that. It's you have to look really closely to be like, okay, he's sm- a bit smaller, and it's just because he, I think he's a bit thicker. I think he's an inch taller. I noticed like seeing him like actually for an interview in person, like he's bigger than you'd expect. He's like, bigger yeah. than yeah, and yeah, like, like he, he is definitely th- like a lot thicker than you'd think, and he's not short, short. Like he's yeah. He seemed like the same size as Brock Besser to me. Like when I met both maybe a little of those shorter. Guys. Yeah, he is definitely but shorter. Besser's huge though. Besser's yeah. like I know, but when I met both of those guys right. in person, I was like, oh, Besser's smaller than I thought he was, and Rathbone's bigger than right. I yeah. thought he was. Yeah, yeah, no. So and, and that that's like kind of overall what I was sort of getting at with with Rathbone. He's not like he's not Quinn Hughes small, right? He's yeah. a tad yeah. undersized, right? And I think he makes up for a lot of it with how competitive he is. He's someone who loves to battle and he plays with a bit of an edge i interviewed john marino um, when pittsburgh came around uh, after the morning skate and marino played with uh rathbone at harvard and yeah. he trains with him in garland in the summers and, he, and he'd be like yeah rathbone and carlin go at it and even even just in workouts and he sort of has that sort of he both he, he both has like a quiet confidence about him he's very sure of himself and he has a little bit of that garland type edge not to the same extent but i like that about rathbone and i think that's going to be crucial for for his development uh and kind of taking the next step yeah there is that like you know we always say like jack is like the nicest guy to deal with right like really like you know people say this all the time but like actual like hockey players it's incredible how much of a good person jack rathbone is but like i don't want to say cocky but there's a lot of confidence in himself and you can feel that when he talks about his game like there's a lot of confidence that he thinks he's going to yep. be an NHL player very soon, and rightfully so. I think. Yeah, uh, I think his his performance up to this point in his career as a hockey player should lead him to that to think that he yeah. will have NHL success. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll close it out there. Well, a little prospects wrap up. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna talk to Dmitry Zlodiev. Uh, yes. Pretty in the next couple of days here, get his thoughts on the World Juniors, and we I saw some replies to this. We had Aiden McDonough on 650 the other day. And of course, we had to ask him about signing with the Canucks at the end of his deal. He didn't seem very, um, very interested in talking about it for sure. I know that he, you know, he said that he was excited to sign an NHL contract, whether it's next year, the year after that, whenever it happens. So I think a lot of Canucks fans were a little worried hearing that. You know, he even said he went out to some dinners with Jack uh, over the break, and we, you know, I asked him, hey, "Was Jack trying to wine and dine you so he has a guy to break out to in the AHL at some point this year?" And he said, "No, nothing like that." So I think Canucks fans got a little worried uh, when they heard that hit and that answer specifically from Aiden McDonough on our show quads. I think so. I think you should be a did little. Did you read bit. it the, that way? I did when he said it. Yeah, I did. I hope that he signs. He's the <laughs> to me. I think he's you know, if Jack Rathbone aside, I think he is the t- the top prospect right now. Daniel Klimovich is up there. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens with Klimovich. I think at 18, what he's doing in the HL, he's probably above him. But probably number three then, Aiden McDonough for prospects. You would hope that the Canucks are going to be able to figure something out with him this year. They have three open contract spots. I wrote about a potential free agent uh, NCAA defenseman, which you can find at Canucks Army right now, uh, that I think they should target. Um, then you have McDonough and Linus Carlson is going to be a free agent after June 1st of 2022. So if you want to get Carlson in, you got to get him in after his SHL season expires. Three contract spots spots left. You can help me if I'm wrong here, uh, Harm. But I I see 47 of 50 contracts signed for the Canucks right now. 
I haven't looked at it recently, so you'd know so better I, I would me. think that's what it is. So three spots, Linus Carlson, Aiden McDonough, Brandon Scanlon is the uh, free agent defenseman that I've looked at. So hopefully they can figure something out with McDonough. I, I didn't get the read as much as some people did because I've heard him answer that question before, and he doesn't want to commit to signing with the Vancouver Canucks at the end of this year. Um, I think a lot of guys in his position will say the same thing because they are worried about, I wouldn't say worried, but they're more focused on their NCAA season. I mean, I don't think we really understand as Canadians how much NCAA hockey really means to some of these guys who grew up in the areas of the universities that they're playing for, uh, specifically the Boston area guys and the Michigan area guys. Like when they play for Michigan, it it means a lot. When we know when Aiden McDonough plays for Northeastern, it, it means a lot to him. So I, I wouldn't take it in the worst way. I, I hope they can get a deal done with McDonough when his season ends. Uh, Northeastern currently sitting 13th um, in their division. And uh, the 69th Beanpot is coming up uh, in February. And he said nice. they're expecting to play it. Exactly. Very nice. It's been we'll a nice uh, performance for McDonough at the Beanpots as well. He's had great tournaments so far. Probably hoping to do a lot of the same um, this year. So that's all I got. Uh, this is my last prospects report of uh, 2021. Yeah, been a fun year, guys. Harmon, thanks for joining us. Chris, as always, it's been fun, man. So for Chris Faber and for Harmon Dial, for the last time in 2021, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 